Welcome to Nutritionista, the official podcast about all aspects of nutrition with an in-depth view into women's health. We focus on nutrition for every stage of life, as well as body liberation, healthy eating at every size, eating to nourish and fuel your bodies, and working through health challenges with education and inspiration. We'll help you to walk away from the diet culture and understand the biochemical mechanisms behind disease and illness. Your hosts are Megan Hayes and Rani McCudden. Megan is an award-winning clinical nutritionist, biochemist, personal trainer and postpartum doula with a master's in both women's health medicine and reproductive medicine. With 12 years of experience teaching, training and supporting women and their families, her passion lies within the field of hormonal health, menstruation, fertility, birth control and pregnancy, whilst empowering and supporting women through postpartum and beyond. Rani McCudden is a chef and nutritionist from the Central Coast, New South Wales. She has an advanced diploma in nutritional medicine and is in her final year of a Bachelor of Clinical Nutrition. She also holds a diploma of practice management and is a physio-based Pilates instructor. She is passionate about sharing her love and creativity with food as well as the importance of nutrition with her clients. She also runs a small hobby farm and leads a paddock-to-plate approach to life. Join us here weekly to talk to other specialists and wellbeing advocates in the fields of women's and family health, parenting, fitness and wellbeing, all from the comfort of your own home, car or wherever in the world you may be. We're thrilled to share this time with you. Welcome to the Unpacking Allergies mini-series. I'm Megan Hayes and I'm joined here with the lovely Rani McCudden to bring you this podcast where we're going to discuss that burning question of what is a food allergy? Thank you for the lovely introduction. (laughs) So food allergies are one of the fastest growing diseases in Australia with more than 20% of the population, blows my mind every time I hear that, suffering from one sort of food allergy or another. We're not just talking children in those statistics. They are broad population, so that's of all ages. The prevalence of allergic disorders in Australia and New Zealand is amongst the highest in the developed world. That's why I think they call us the allergy capital of the Mm -hmm. world. Um, It's crazy. Research shows that 4.1 million Australians, that is almost 20% of our population, Mm -hmm. have had at least one allergic disease. So the working age of the population having the highest prevalence with 78% amongst those being 15 to 64 years old. It's, you know, it's quite sad. In recent data indicates that 10% of children aged under one have an actual food allergy these days. Yeah, it's um yeah it's so different compared to what it was years ago. Yeah, it's kind of mind blowing, isn't it? Crazy statistics, I know. The difference between an anaphylaxis allergy and intolerance is something we kind of get pressed on all the time. So, mm. to break it down for you, the classification of food related reactions are the immune mediated, so the primary food allergy, and the non immune mediated 
which are also known as primary food intolerances. So you can see the difference there. So with the allergies, the immune mediated allergies, we have four subcategories of those. So the first one is an IgE mediated reaction. So that would be food induced anaphylaxis, uh, food dependent exercise induced anaphylaxis. Well, that's a mouthful. (laughs) Hives or an oral allergy syndrome. I know you've mentioned before where Lola mentions your daughter mentioned yeah. it, it tastes kind of itchy I, so you know yeah. there's something going it on tastes like an, it, tastes, it tastes like allergies mom which means like it, it, she's itching from her mouth yeah on one of the first i think ingestion symptoms that we can see for her anyway that's what she's she's mentioned um with her reactions yeah okay so the second one would be a non-ige mediated response so For example, um, FPI, so that would be the food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome. It could also be celiac disease. Um, The third would be the mixed IgE and non-IgE-mediated response. So once again, these are big words, but if you know, you know. So you've got your eosinophilic esophagitis and atopic dermatitis. So most people know that the itchy fingers kind of thing that's going on there. And the last one for the immune-mediated allergies are cell mediation. So that's the allergic contact dermatitis. So a lot of people that, for example, I know I get like that if I wash my hands too much with certain yeah. soaps, you kind of get that really, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. To my skin, especially during COVID where we're constantly using hand sanitizer, <laughs> drying out our skin. Yeah. I'm so sick of hand sanitizer. Yeah, exactly. It can really bring that on. So then on the flip side of that, we had the food intolerances. So that's the non-immune mediated reactions. And once again, there's four there as well. So you've got your metabolic, like your lactose intolerance. That would fit under that metabolic category. Then I guess next would be the pharmacological kind. So that's like caffeine. A lot of people have that reaction. Then we have the toxic intolerances so there's a category of fish called scombroids so they would be mackerel tuna there's quite a few other ones like bonito which is a little bit more popular in asia than it is here however those fish contain a chemical called histidine so when you have a reaction to that it would generally cause headaches or nausea vomiting um, a burning sensation or tingling sensation in the mouth So those kind of reactions. And the final one is an idiopathic food intolerances. Mm -hmm. So that could be anything from sulfites or to just generally being undefined. So, yeah, that's basically a quick breakdown of allergies versus intolerances. So a food allergy occurs when the immune system recognizes proteins of a particular food as a pathogen. So basically, it's the bad guy or some kind of harmful invader. Mm -hmm. So the body then responds with an immune attack, which is known as the IgE response. Um, When the immune system encounters this bad guy or the offending protein, it creates an antibody. So clinically, this is known as the word that I always keep pronouncing <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> got me last episode yes exactly oh, 
Yes, I know. I have to keep practicing that word, I think. Oh, dear. But anyway, the immune system uses the antibody to identify and neutralize the invading foreign object. So this is the antigen. Um, And that's when the next time you ingest, touch, or come into contact with that specific antigen, the immune system will respond by producing more of the same antibodies to come to war and attack it. Yes. So this means that every time your baby or your child or you come into contact with that allergen, you're going to experience that allergic response, basically. Yep. And while food sensitivities are classed as non-IgE reactions, much like an allergy, but it's the sensitivities that also involve a similar but not a severe immune response in which those antibodies are also created. Food sensitivities, I guess, don't pose the major life-threatening risk of anaphylaxis, but those reactions, whilst not life-threatening, they can still be a significant response and pose really considerable discomfort. Some immune responses to a sensitivity is, I guess, a little more time-delayed than with an allergy, And symptoms Mm. can arise anywhere from a few hours to three days after consuming a trigger food. That's why it can make it really, really difficult to pinpoint. On the flip side, we have our intolerance reactions that are vastly different to allergic reactions. And on that note, I was inboxed a few questions when we mentioned creating this podcast, and I want to take time to answer one of them now, if that's okay. But this follower asked to stay entirely anonymous. So as much as I can't give them a shout out, they know I'm talking about them, which is awesome. So they get Mm -hmm. their answer here. So, but I can definitely answer their question. And that was in a nutshell, what actually is a food intolerance? So in a nutshell, a food intolerance is when someone has a problem digesting a certain food or has an absence of enzymes. And what I mean by that is, let's use lactose as an example. It's a pretty common and well-known intolerance. In that case, it's where someone with a lactose intolerance can't produce the enzyme lactase. That lactase enzyme is the enzyme that breaks down lactose, which is a sugar found in milk and dairy products. So unlike having a food allergy or sensitivity, the immune system is not directly involved in the associated physical response of that food intolerance and while the intolerance doesn't pose a threat like like i mentioned about that anaphylaxis Mm. a lactose intolerance can pose really disastrous digestive Mm -hmm. system consequences so if you know you know so it's not pretty and it'll have you running to the toilet and Yeah. yeah if you know you know and it's not the greatest So what are the most common food allergies? I guess in the allergy world, we have the top eight. Um, They're known as being milk, eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, crustaceans, wheat, and soy. So other common food allergens, I mean, it can be almost anything, like Mm -hmm. apples, pears, kiwi fruit is another interesting one as well. Even vegetables, like it's just, we're becoming allergic to so many different things, like seeds, sesame seeds. Oh, yeah, it just goes on and on. It does. But um, any food can potentially be an allergen. Um, obviously, the, the foods I just mentioned before uh, equate for more than 90% of food allergens in adults and children. Yeah, it's huge. And if you have one allergen, you can potentially are at risk of developing, you know, an allergy to another one as well. Yeah. Um, 
So the features of the common food allergies will be, for example, egg and milk. Yep. Most, um, this is only identified in early childhood, I guess, generally outgrown if, you know, it's not going to be a major sort of lifelong condition um, in the sort of late sort of around high, I think normally around school age is when generally the time that, you know, a child will outgrow it. It rarely carries on into adulthood. Um, but we're noticing these days now, like it's it's actually a lot of children with those egg and dairy allergies are they're, they're not basically not outgrowing them. Um, some people with egg and dairy can tolerate it in a baked form. I guess this is because, as I mentioned before, it denatures the protein. Um, nuts, for example, generally you find out early on in life, like most of the allergies that we have. Um, mm-hmm. But this one, sadly, it goes into adulthood so normally in 80 percent of of nuts tree nuts and peanuts they they don't actually outgrow that allergy so um tree nut allergy is also associated with sensitization to more than one variety so you know if you're allergic to walnuts you can probably you're probably allergic to peanuts yeah um and it's the most common cause of life-threatening and fatal food-induced anaphylaxis yeah um, yeah, so seafood is another major one, especially in Australia, we've noticed um, research. Fish, crustacea um, generally begin later on in childhood um, or even teen and adult years. Not too sure why this happens. Clinically, there's so much research being done around all this. Um, cross-reactivity is common as well between seafood species. So fish, crustacea, mollusks, um, but it's uncommon between species. So most common cause of food-induced anaphylaxis requiring emergency department attendance and, unfortunately, death in Australia as well. Um, Generally, once you develop a seafood allergy, you don't normally outgrow it, unfortunately. Um, Have you seen much research done in terms of, um, I guess, farming of certain fish does that make sense like I've often wondered that I haven't looked too much into the research I actually might now that I've prompted that to myself but have you seen anything no I haven't but you know I guess what how sanitary are these conditions where are we getting our product from a lot of our fish is imported yeah um so you just don't know like what's in the fish how are they grown what's in the water all that kind of stuff um and as to why we have this raise now in Seafood allergies, yeah. yeah. Okay. But um, wheat as well. So in adults, wheat allergy can present as a wheat-dependent exercise-induced anaphylaxis, which you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but a wheat allergy is very different from celiac disease, which is the autoimmune disease triggered yep. to exactly. the exposure yep. of gliadin. The current research on infant allergies suggests that there are many, many factors that can impact the risk of young children developing allergies. So my major ones that I tend to go for are vitamin D. So there's so much exciting new research being done in the area of vitamin D. It really spins my tires and gets me going. While the research is quite new and promising, there's so much out there now that's showing that what we know about vitamin D, it has such a pre- profound effect on their immune system. So mm-hmm. something I'm on about all the time. So the studies are an indication that a vitamin D deficiency is so closely linked with the range of autoimmune conditions. So including allergies. As your children get 
vitamin D kind of exclusively from us if we're breastfeeding or through the placenta when we're pregnant and they're in the womb. If our vitamin D levels are low as their mother, so their host, it negatively impacts your baby's risk of developing those allergies. So it's something to really focus on when you're working with a lot of pregnant mothers too, just making sure those vitamin D levels aren't to that lower end of normal. We all know about that pathology scale that I talk about all the time too. We really need to get them kind of really at that higher dose just to avoid that risk of allergy. So the epidemiological studies show that a massive 50% of infants with allergies are also deficient in vitamin D. And that's just boom right there. Wow, that is a pretty strong correlation. And it's funny you just mentioned that because I had an aha moment. Lola has, uh, she when she was obviously in my womb, she had a unilateral umbilical cord. So she wasn't getting all of the nutrients. Yeah, so if okay. I was deficient in vitamin D, yep. she obviously wouldn't be getting her levels of vitamin D. And I always wonder, was this the reason why we were picked for allergies? You know, because you always, as a parent, you, you question yourself. It's, what did I do wrong? What should I have done? And yeah, an amazing yep. link, vitamin D, there you go. Yep, exactly. So then we have our gut health, which is another subject I can talk about all day long. So having a well-populated digestive tract with the right colonies of bacteria, and we call that our microbiome, it's enough to minimize our baby's risk of eczema and other allergies. So that's another thing close to my heart. So when we're pregnant, it's recommended that we have not only just probiotic foods or taking a supplement, I always go food first. So if we're having probiotic foods in the diet, we also want to make sure we're having prebiotic foods. So the precursor that feeds those probiotics in the gut. So we want the pre and probiotic foods in our diet, like a range of seasonal vegetables and fermented foods like yogurt, kimchi, miso, and so on. If we support our microbiome during pregnancy by either consuming these foods or taking a probiotic supplement if we can't stomach them, which your nutritionist will be able to recommend, as there's so many different strains and products on the market, there's so many that you can kind of get lost in if you visited a Mm. local chemist, for example. So a nutritionist will be able to tell you which beneficial strains are the best for pregnancy your case entirely and to give the best nutrition for you and your bub yeah and like then there's genetics so if either you or your partner have an allergy yourself or you already have a child with an existing allergy the chance that your next child will have an allergy is definitely increased um you know while there's Food avoidance when pregnant to factor in as well. So the previously published allergy guidelines have advised the best way to prevent an allergy is to avoid potential allergens. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, <laughs> common sense came around and yeah. they totally disproved that with the theory. New recommendations have had pregnant mothers to do the opposite. So basically early exposure. So having dairy, egg, seafood, all that kind of stuff in your diet, yes. providing it's cooked properly, um, and you're not allergic to it as well. Because, you know, there's no point. <laughs> yeah, that's you too. having that mate if you're going to go into anaphylaxis. <laughs> yeah. And then when we have our babies, there's a whole lot more to consider. 
There's so much new research on the introduction of solid foods to babies. We'll get into that at a later episode. Mm. While any food has the potential to cause an allergic reaction, we now know the top eight highly allergenic foods that make up 90% of all reactions in children. Yeah, it's so interesting. But like, then there's also the the risk of introducing solids prematurely. I know when I was a little baby, my nana would feed, um, like, what are they? Those little biscuits, not sayos, milk, I don't know, milk arrowroot biscuits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like something that we were given like from six weeks old. It was just, oh, yeah. But um, babies, they normally meet the developmental signs of readiness around six months. So that's a really good indicator that the digestive system is mature enough to assimilate the food properly. Um, Introducing solids before four months is shown to increase the risk of food allergies, basically because your immune system, your digestive system, it's just not quite ready for it yet. So your digestive system can't break that food down as efficiently as water would be able to when it's six months old. Um, This can cause undigested food particles to enter the bloodstream and set off that immune response. While food allergies are common and their prevalence is likely to continue to increase as we've seen unfortunately, Mm. food allergies significantly impact on quality of life. So that's not just of the child, of the adult, it's their brothers and sisters, yeah. their parents, everyone around the school. them, school, yeah. friends, parties, it, the list goes on. So dietary restrictions and the frequent hospitalizations after those severe reactions. And they also are quite open to fatal anaphylaxis. So that's something we need to just be so careful on and just create awareness around. Although recent studies have offered some encouragement, a widely available cure is still to be to be developed. There's nothing on the market at the moment. As always, the education around food avoidance strategies and the management of an anaphylaxis case remains the mainstays of therapy for food allergies. Yeah, it's um it's definitely something that is close to my heart with Lola having anaphylaxis, but um what a great discussion today thank you so much Megan anytime you know for everything talking about this today um can't wait for next week when we talk about environmental allergies so that can be anything from pollen animals any kind of environmental exposure anyway thank you very much for listening bye thank you so much for joining us today we really hope that you each got something valuable out of this episode and we can't wait to hear what you think of it Please, please make sure you hit subscribe in the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, so you can listen to the latest episodes that we release weekly. As we're totally independent with this podcast, we really do rely on your subscriptions, reviews, and your shares to spread the word. If you have any questions, please join our Facebook group. It's totally free, and we love getting into conversations with you all there. All you need to do is search for Nutritionista Community. If you want to read our blogs or would like to continue your health and wellness journeys with us, you can visit myself at www.nutritionista.com.au and you can see Rani over at www.cutrockcottage.com.au Until then, see you next time.